Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. This podcast is on the day that fall camp begins for the Michigan football team. We'll we'll break down the key storylines among the things we'll discuss. Uh, well, we'll kind of go around around the uh, the starting 22, take a peek at like what some of the key storylines are. We'll also talk about some We'll each pick one position battle we're watching pretty closely. We'll each pick one freshman that we think could be a surprise player. So we'll start looking at Michigan's defense before we get to the freshmen and the, and the position battles. Uh, this, this has got to be the biggest storyline of fall camp for Michigan is, is the redemption of Michigan's front seven. I, I, I understand that Michigan State game looked like it was a lot more of a pass coverage issue but over the course of the whole season it was Michigan's pass rush and and run stopping ability that really I mean it it just tanked their ability to stay in football games you know that's that's where they had to play from behind all the time that's where they had to maybe operate a little too quickly in the passing game it's also where they really just couldn't get off the field and other teams were able to score a lot of points so to me we've talked about it Steve quite a bit actually this this winter, spring, and summer, I suppose. Um, but the redemption of the front seven, you and I were talking just before we hit record. So Michigan came out with their new updated weights today. Uh, up front, pretty much everyone gained weight. I, I think Chris Hinton's up seven pounds. Jess Spate's up 20. Uh, Mozzie Smith is kind of the, the big one. He's up 21 pounds to so 326. Donovan Jeter's up another seven pounds. You know, I, I guess Jordan Whitley's down pounds, but he's at 348 pounds. Uh, and then and then some of the freshmen and younger players are also adding weight. I, I think there's reason. I don't know if I would take anything to the bank yet, because I, I, I think it's important to see how so, you know, some of these newer starters play in starting roles. But but I think there's reason to believe the defensive front, particularly in a pass rushing perspective and, and kind of just controlling the line of scrimmage a little bit more. I think there's reason to believe that the front seven can redeem itself. I think they're bigger in the front three. And then I think they're their edge position group. I think they're getting what they want from players not named Aiden Hutchinson. Of course, Aiden Hutchinson, they have high expectations for. And so I, I think there's, there's slowly. And, and I thought Mike McDonald said, he didn't. He he stayed away from cliches and superlatives. He seemed like he was someone who was who was ready to get to work. Um, but kind of how he was discussing how the edge role will be used. I'm a little bit more sold that this group can kind of uh, maybe not hit the ground running, but they don't need to crawl into the season. I mean, they can be they can be better than I think myself included. Many people expect them to be this fall. What are what are your thoughts on the front seven and and kind of the the efforts they've taken to improve because it was really just a, a brutal front front seven last season. A lot of changes needed. They've also made a lot of those changes. I think it comes down to a couple. So it's, it's interesting is that's the other, we were kind of talking beforehand. Uh, like Michigan has a lot of returning experience too. You know, it's a new system, but they, they these aren't, these aren't green. Even the even where like up front where there's concern about the depth there, then and just just the production, the potential production. 
you know, a lot of these guys like Mozzie Smith quietly played in a handful of games last year. Um, Hinton's been playing for two years. Uh, Welshoff's gotten some decent run, you know, last year in particular. You know, I, I think – I do think there's a ceiling there uh, up front. I think I think you took you look at guys like – I think basically what is the best way to put it from my mind, they look deep at edge. They're F – I think feel like they're potentially a plus – they have a plus athlete at both edge spots and then at all three spots on the offensive – or on the defensive line if they're running a 3-4 set. Because Welshoff's a big but athletic guy. That was his M.O. coming in. Would take a while. But athleticism for his size was his M.O. Hinton, I think, has gotten more athletic the last couple of seasons. I think that's one area where he has made strides. I think it's just more the tech, technical side of things is maybe where he needs to come into his own. And then with Mozzie Smith in particular, I think a lot of that was conditioning um acclimating himself to the speed of the college game yeah i think you know also too i think the mentality and that, that's been kind of one of the early themes with mcdonald has been the culture idea of everything i know we talked about that a little bit last episode but i think that's going to be important too because again we, like how many times we watched michigan last year it felt like they had just kind of they just packed it in at certain points and uh I think defensively in particular was where it was maybe the most glaring. So, you know, I, I've said, I, I, they quietly have a really good mix of talent uh, experience and leadership too. You know, Hutchinson should be, I don't know how you gauge, but he should be one of the best leaders in at least the big 10. Uh, just, he's been here this long. Michigan's in his blood. I mean, he's got a lot of the it's important to him. Right. He's got a lot of the things you look for in a kid that you want to lead your defensive unit. And again, yeah, there's that bitter taste in their mouth. Um, As has usually been the case, Michigan has no shortage of motivation or reasons to be incredibly motivated or maybe even more motivated than most teams just because of the underperformance, uh, just the way they've looked on the, in the national spotlight last few times they've been there. So yeah, I think that's a big I, – I would probably agree with you. I think that's a, a really big storyline. I think the other the other big storyline for me is – and there's no other better way to put it than it, it, it's definitely put up or shut up time for Josh Gaddis and the offense. Uh, there's really – Well, almost, we'll get to – hold on. We'll right, get to right, the offense in a right. second. But, we're, we're, we're working through them all. But Right. Defensively, though, I'd have to agree – you know, I do think it's the front, but you know, really it's redemption across the board. Cause you could, you, you look at a guy like there's a lot of redemption on the line for a guy like Vince Gray, who had a really rough year last year too. Right. I mean, there's, there's guys, Brad Hawkins, another one uh, that, you know, so I think redemption across the board is really, really big, but I think, yeah, I'd agree particularly in the front seven, uh, you know, is where I think we're Michigan. Yeah. Where I, I think it's, it's the most glaring and well, well, you talk front seven, you got to mention Josh Ross too. Who also had yeah. a really rough year last year. You know, there's a lot of guys that flat out underperformed on the field last season for whatever reason, you know. And so, you know, we'll see where the I've always been by the way I've always said it is, you know, it's like when we say, like, whether it's on the site or whatever, you say, like, well, we think Brad Hawkins is going to rebound. What does that mean? It doesn't like rebound doesn't 
I'm not saying he's going to come back and be like an all big 10 player necessarily. Like, where is that? Where do they rebound to? You know, I think Hudson was a guy that we used to say that about after he had that killer finish to his sophomore season and then really struggled the next year we talked rebound and he did rebound. He was better, but he didn't ever really get back to that, that stretch that he had at the end of his second season, you know, so where does Hawkins and, and Ross and, um, uh, Maybe even I maybe even throw Hinton in there a little bit. Uh, where do these guys, when they do rebound, which we anticipate, how far do they actually rebound? And, and you know, can it can it end up being a, a plus and a benefit for Michigan? Yeah, we'll talk. So I did. I must not have given you the show notes because yeah, we have I have a whole segment about the pass coverage and and a couple things on the offense as well. We got a couple storylines here, but but I agree with you. I think this is there are several players, and I think. Uh, a couple of them are, are at different positions, but I think a lot of them are actually in that defensive front that it's, it's whether it's, you want to call it a now or never or a bounce back type seat. They know, they know. I mean, it was, it was kind of interesting talking to Josh Ross. I mean, he was not talking at big 10 media days, like someone who felt like he had a good season last year. He was not talking like someone who was kind of like, well, you know, I did my job, it'll all work out, whatever. Like he was talking like someone who who uh, really did a lot of reflecting and a lot of um, you know, kind of kind of embraced the frustration and and did his best to turn it into motivation. Now that's never a guarantee. That's talk. It's July, you know, what happens in September, October, November matters a lot more, but but yeah, I think there's a few players. I think, you know, Donovan Jeter is another guy who, uh, you know, I think he's, he's not blind uh, to, to, to kind of that his career hasn't quite gone how he had hoped, but, but I think, um, you know, he has a sense that, that this can be a year things turn around. I think there, you know, Mozzie Smith, Chris Hinton, we can talk about it being a bounce back. Frankly, if you look at defensive tackles in the last decade for Michigan, other than, I guess, um, uh, Willie Henry. I'm. I. I really. I went through and looked at all like the starting defensive tackles. It really is a year three thing. It really is a. You know, this is the year where they start to show. Now, if they don't show it in year three, then in many cases they'll end up getting passed by someone else. But, but you know, Ryan Glasgow, uh, Matt Godin, you know, Mo Hurst a little bit. You can even stretch over to to defensive end. Talk about someone like a Chase Winovich. I mean, up front, there's just all, with all the technique you have to learn, the strength you have to build, the I, the grind of the position. It's one of the more injury prone position groups. Um, and it's just just a big physical adjustment from high school to college. I, I think this is the year, though, uh, for them to kind of determine what direction their career is going to take. And and Hinton's played quite a bit more than Smith. You could argue he's ahead, but but you know Smith wasn't it's not like he was some chum in the bucket you know he was he was a I think 106 in the composite you know he was borderline top 100 recruit and and it's important to him too I mean he grew up I presume he grew up a Michigan fan he grew up in the state of Michigan so he understands kind of the pressure that comes with this so yeah I think I think how the defensive front responds you know linebacker I'm I'm not quite as certain that the group will will fully respond but can there be some stability uh at, at linebacker just you know josh ross i think i looked it up i think he gave up 20 
two of 25 pass targets last season. He gave up a reception and, and Barrett, I think was 17 of 23. I mean, it's, um, you know, working in coverage, not getting flushed out of running plays. You, you know, there is, there's a change in coaching, but there also has to be just a change in, in their bodies and how they approach the position. But they're not the only people on defense trying to fix something here. I, I, I really, I, I'm not even sure if I would call it redemption because I do think the secondary redeemed themselves in a lot of ways. But I think this has got to be a year you can't have guys up and down. I mean, Vincent Gray had a couple pretty good games last year. He also had a couple games where he just was almost unplayable. Jamon Green, same thing. Brad Hawkins, same thing. And I, I would say Daxton Hill would, would tell you. I mean, he had a couple games where it just – and even, even if it wasn't a couple games, a couple drives where he was kind of getting picked on a little bit. And, and that's not what you're supposed to have in your five-star safety, even if he is only a sophomore. So, so, so to me – the storyline of, of the secondary is, is some stability. They have two coaches, two assistant coaches back there. Um, again, they did not have that last fall. You know, I think, I think clean scale is, is someone who's, who's been doing, I mean, Zordich had been doing it a long time too, but I, I, I feel like clean scale is someone who can, he's an assistant coach who doesn't need much of a learning curve. I mean, he already knows what he wants to teach. He already knows how to, how to teach it. And so it's, it's a matter of if they can find that stability because I, I, it starts week one. They play a pretty good quarterback in Ellaby um, out of Western Michigan. I, I have to imagine Washington's going to throw the ball quite a bit. You know, it's not like they totally ease into this. I mean, they need, they need their secondary to, to show in week one or it's going to be another very long season. You feel like they have the, the, the situation put together in place to, to be a stable secondary this year? Uh, maybe that's a, that, that, that's really, I feel like that's a bigger question mark, um, as far as actual production goes than the front seven fair, just because, you know, we talk about a, a mix of talent experience and some depth, particularly at edge up front at corner there, there aren't many players who have played a ton behind the guys that are projected to say green and gray take the first two job. We expect green to win one of the two jobs. Let's just theoretically say gray wins the opposite, you know, wins the, the other job you have DJ Turner. And then, you know, who else has played a ton behind those guys? Didn't see yeah. Darian green Warren last year. Didn't see Andre Selden much if at all last year. It's also harder to hide a right. guy that's inexperienced right. or getting his feet wet. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll so, pick on you if you're not ready. Exactly. So that's where you, know, you talk about an injury or two away from being in a real precarious position or maybe putting a guy out there who's not ready, which I guess that's kind of the same thing, but so that, that to me, that's going to be big. I do think, I think the clink scale addition, I think that's going to be a big, I think that was that was a home run hire, not just from a recruiting standpoint, but also from an actual coaching standpoint. I think it gives Ron Bellamy someone to work with that has tons of experience just in the defensive backfield in general. You know, I think that's a great combo back there. And uh, but yeah, I think that's that's really 
you know, I hate to keep going back to it, but again, like just they did not play any of these guys last year when they should have and could have to get them some some free experience in a real time, a real game situation. And I just think it, it's it's going to hamper them this year, you know, because corner is another one of those spots where you're going to have guys that can come in and do it. Right. But I think it's another one where it takes maybe a little bit to get acclimated. So that's why I say a guy like Andre Selden or a Green Warren or even Jaden McBurrows, who just enrolled. Um, you know, there's nothing like those guys are as green as possible can possibly be just about. And uh, so I think it's really it's going to put a lot of pressure on the other three of Green, Gray and Turner to play, produce and maybe most importantly, stay healthy. You know, um, unless one of these young young guys makes a big stride, you know, this fall, like in camp, maybe maybe a couple of these guys have come a long ways. Obviously, we'll be digging on that, trying to find out. But either way, you know, I think it's just it's it's amazing how where corner has kind of gone in, in a short amount of time. Uh, as you know, it used to be, you'd argue, maybe one of the two or three biggest strengths on the team year in and year out. I was going to say the year in and year out part, I think Michigan's got to find that again because right. they, they had it. And then it, I mean, granted, Ambry Thomas was supposed to kind of continue that, that consistency year in and year out, but, but they also didn't get it from the guys who were supposed to step up. Right. So yeah, it became a, it became an uncertainty very quickly. And I think that's, that's gotta be, I mean, if you're, if you're Michigan, that's gotta be one of your top priorities is, you know, get as many, just get get guys comfortable in coverage because some of those games, especially that Michigan State game, I felt like um, Jalen Perry, right? I mean, that's another guy from the nineteen class who we haven't really seen much of. Yeah, I he think actually, he moved to safety in the spring, didn't he? Either like just in the but defensive backfield period. That's right? more to your point. Yeah, like you guys so. are just kind of bouncing around, shuffling around behind the scenes, and it's like okay, well, at some point the four star guys or you know the top targets got it at some point they have to make the field or else your team's just really going to really struggle. So yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I think um, the, the lack of freshmen and red shirt freshmen playing last fall in the secondary, when, when all those struggles were happening and again, safety, maybe not so much because they had two guys, but, but yeah, it just seemed like a missed opportunity to not give guys more snaps, more reps. It was a shorter season. So part of that was just going to happen anyways. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a big, big question mark. And, and I'd say unlike maybe the, the defensive front, I, I think they'll, Michigan's going to know September 4th, to be honest, if they have, if they have an improved secondary or a more stable secondary or not. Uh, before the fans, I'll, I'll <laughs> click the, the red button and get out of this podcast. Let's, let's talk about a strength of Michigan. Really, I mean, the more I look at the, the PFF stats, the film from last season, the recruiting profiles of these guys, I think Michigan is going to have arguably, well, uh, probably can't say best yet, but I think they arguably have one of the best run games, lining up to have one of the best run games in the entire Big Ten. Probably not number one, uh, potentially not number two, but I mean, they, this is about to be their biggest offensive line. Um, in terms of like average per position, because you know, Mike Unwenu made all the lines technically bigger, but 
but yeah, they're, they're going to have a huge offensive line. It's going to be an experienced offensive line. I think it's going to be a, a pretty, pretty good one in terms of moving people. I mean, Zach Zinter, I don't, I guess we'll see how he looks as a pass protector, but I think he's going to just bully defensive linemen up front. You know, I think um, Andrew Stuber strikes me as a similar, a similar kind of player and, and Trevor Keegan as well. If he ends up uh, winning the starting job over Chuck Filiaga, this team's going to be able to run the ball. Um, I don't know what that entails in fall camp. I guess they, they just continue to work on it, continue to find their starting five and, and figure out the best ways to use Haskins, Corum and, and Donovan Edwards. But I think, I think if I were Michigan's coaches, I'd be looking at that and saying, let's, let's start there. Let's make it so that, that Michigan can run the ball between five, around five and a half yards per carry. And, and really against teams that aren't Wisconsin and, and maybe Ohio state really just kind of ram it down their throats a little bit all, all game long and, and really control the possession. Cause that, I understand why it was missing last season, but that was something that the, the Michigan definitely missed out on last season. And, and something that I think can actually be a major strength for the Wolverines this fall. I mean, I think we're on the, it's, it's borderline. There's no excuse for them not to be able to run the football effectively this year. You talk about a, a combination of between the offensive line and running back quarterback, even it's pretty much four or five stars across the board, right? There's experience, there's talent, there's depth. Like there is no reason why Michigan should not be able to uh, impose their will against, like you said, maybe the, not quite the upper echelon, the, the top two or three teams in the conference, but Indiana, right. Like they should, Michigan be, able State, to, they should be able State, to run the yeah. football on these teams. Right. And there's at this point, like I said, there's no excuse, honestly, too much talent too just too much everything for that. Not yeah, For that, not to be something that Michigan should be able to hang their hat on. Which, as you know, as anybody knows, uh, if you run the football, it's going to make it easier to throw the football. I mean, that's about as John Madden <laughs> as I as you can get. But you know, it is. It's 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 a universal truth in the, in the game of football. The better, the more effectively you can run the football, the more the defense has to honor, you know, push pull. And so, right. there's no reason why Michigan, none, like that. The 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 offense needs to be under a microscope this season, as far as like, you know, they need to produce and there's no excuse for them not to. So, um, I mean, even you could even get, even go the other way and say they have enough talent at receiver to even maybe to open up the running game. If they decided to do it the opposite way, not that they should, but either way, like there's just really no reason why Michigan can't, uh, yeah. you know, Haskins is big, fast, you know, he's played really well. And, and between Corum and Edwards, you have two elite, like highly nationally recruited elite guys that, you know, should be explosive enough to, to, to make some big plays. NFL caliber speed A- from those two. Yeah. yeah. Whether they become NFL caliber running backs, that's, that's for them to, to get to, but, but in terms of speed and explosiveness. Yeah. And I have a stat about Haskins. We always talk about his fall forward rate on this podcast. And I, I think the Michigan coaches kind of do too in press conferences. Well, I finally got a number to attach to it. This comes from pro football focus. 
Last season, Hassan Haskins averaged 4.3 yards after contact per carry. Not 4.34 yards per carry, 4.34 yards after the first, you know, arm tackle or, or, or attempted wrap up or attempted tackle per carry. And that's a small sample size. So I'll give you that. In 2019, it was 3.5. That's still incredible. That's a 3.5 yards per carry after first contact. I mean, that, that's, that's not even like a fall forward rate. That's like a, a fall forward and get a couple steps in. And he's in the last 16 games, really since he became kind of a, a starter level running back with starter level snaps, he's broken 40 tackles. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, start with him. And then, and then really, you know, kind of use the back, use Corm and Edwards uh, heavily as, as kind of backbreaking, you know, the speed, the big play, the pass catching ability. Uh, yeah, they, as you said, really, um, if they, if they aren't a great running team this year, I think they're probably going to end up cleaning house anyways, but then it's time to really assess, you know, what exactly the coaches are, are getting paid to do. Uh, as far as the, the rest of the offense, a theme that, that I guess it hasn't surprised me, but it has stood out to me just how, how strongly it's being said. Uh, this is apparently Cade McNamara's team already. And, and I think, you know, he's already been mentioned as a starter by everyone who has been asked. Josh Gaddis, Jim Harbaugh, Hassan Haskins, Aiden Hutchinson. And I'm not too surprised they did that because partly, I mean, this is maybe the one year they can declare a starter and no one's going to be looking at the transfer portal. I mean, J.J. McCarthy's a, a true freshman. Alan Bowman just got here. And, and Dan Valari um, probably wouldn't hit the portal as a, as a you know, redshirt freshman either. So this part of it's the, this is the one year you can actually say such and such as a starter and you don't have to worry about like ruffling any feathers. But it also does seem like Cade has has embraced the leadership role, I would say, in a way that Michigan hasn't really seemed to have anyone do that yet under Jim Harbaugh. Um, you know, I think I think they've had quarterbacks who have been leaders, but I think I would I'll, I'll put it like this: I think McNamara will get the most captain votes of any quarterback of the Jim Harbaugh era this this month. Whether he actually is named captain as a redshirt sophomore, different question. But does seem like he's he's taken on a leadership role that maybe Michigan hasn't hasn't seen since you know a Devin Gardner type. So, uh, your thoughts on this? I mean, a practice is literally starting probably while we're recording, but but it seems like the summer and the spring, Cade did exactly what he was supposed to do. Uh, from what you're hearing, from what you're gathering, and from what you know about Michigan is that is that one true and two how valuable is that for Michigan I so he's 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 a somebody that the, the his teammates that the other guys like there's a lot of respect there I think he got it right away the comeback against Rutgers you know I you wonder how Michigan would have finished if he had stayed healthy right um, so he played on a separated shoulder too. Right. You know, yeah, I, I feel like teammates might've might that, that endears yourself to some teammates who've been through stuff. Absolutely. You know, like maybe they could have beaten Penn state uh, if he'd been fully healthy the entire game, uh, you know, either way. Yeah. Like you said, playing through some injuries, uh, just being really a guy that just 
yeah, like you said, I think the idea of embracing, even as, a, especially you think it is a young guy at that point last year to kind of come in and not only let, like lead a comeback and I don't care who the comeback's against, like just in that situation, that was a, that was a hell of a, an effort, you know, to get, to get Michigan into, to get Michigan that W. Uh, if he even, had, yeah, go ahead. For, for Rutgers, if he had started the whole game, they would have won that game by a few touchdowns. Right. So, you know, to, to do that, I think is he, he got, I, I've, I've, I've always been big on guy. Like if a guy's first experience on the field is really positive, like, like something like that, I, I feel like I just, I don't know why it's just maybe an instinct. I could be wrong. I don't know if there's really any way to prove it one way or the other. Just always feel like there's a better shot that that guy has like a productive career. You get that first taste. Your first experience is so positive. I think, there's so much to build off of at that point. And I think that was, you know, McNamara to, to at this point to kind of taken the job and run with it since then, you know, again, not just from his play, which, you know, obviously is the reason that Harbaugh has already, you know, gave him the pole position heading into fall camp, but also that it is all that intangible stuff that you kind of want out of your quarterback. Uh, and he feels, it seems like he's a little more outward about it than some of the guys they've had in the past. I'm trying to think of, of with under Harbaugh, maybe probably what spate, really the only other yeah, guy that I think Spade understood it, but I, I think, I think one thing that I I've, I've noticed personally, and I'm not in practices, but just over the years, it does seem like the quarterbacks, it's almost kind of like a, a specialist position at this point where like they kind of do their own practice, their own drills, and then they come together for the scrimmage part. Um, and, th- and they'll throw to receivers throughout practice. I, I, I shouldn't say they're completely separated, but it, it can be a little bit of an isolating position. And I think for so long, all these quarterbacks were so intent on beating out the other quarterbacks. You know, I think, I think that having someone who I think, I wonder if Jim Harbaugh regrets making some of these quarterback battles battles, you know, for the gamesmanship purpose. I, 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 I just, I don't know if that was the best move because I think what McNamara has done is I think he's just really embraced everything that comes with, you know, being a leader of the team. I think he's taking, it's not quite at Aiden Hutchinson's level, but I think he's like taking the pressure and saying, no, I want to be the one to, to lead Michigan back. You know, I want to be the one to, um, you know, I'm, I'm a part of this just as much as the defensive line that really struggled or, you know, the offensive line that, that gave up the sack or, or, you know, whatever, like, I, I think he's really embraced the, the, oneness of the team that's that's a harbaughism right there and I, I i just i think there were other quarterbacks who like said the right things i don't think they were like jerks i don't think that it was like some you know colossal culture problem but i think there there is a little bit of a humility with mcnamara that i think is helps him with that leadership and helps him get the connection because what's the importance of leadership at quarterback other than uh literally everything it's how you get your offense to buy in. It's how you get them to show up and, and work harder than they wanted to work or, or work harder than they thought they were going to work. You know, in a way, you're, you're almost like, a, like an additional coach. You're not teaching the receiver's technique, but you are, you are teaching them what it means to show up and, and, and deliver and, and practice you know, harder than you think you could. Because Michigan needs a lot of that right now. I feel like it you know, feels like... Um, they need that. And by the way, real quick with McNamara, before the shoulder injury, I actually went and looked up, you know, the, when, when it happened against Penn State. 
He was 35 for 51 for 359 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, and that's that's with, including, I think, two drives against Wisconsin. You know, they were down 17 nothing. He comes in against Rutgers. I know it went to overtime, but, I, I mean, when he was on the field, they really outscored Rutgers by quite a bit, and that's with some defensive lapses. And then, and then that first drive against Penn State. I'm kind of with you at first when you said, I think McNamara will be better than people expect. I was like, well, probably, but who knows? I'm kind of looking at it now. I, I, I think, I think there's, there's, um, I think there's reason to believe that he can be pretty good this season. Steve, real quick, what percentage chance do you give for Cade McNamara to be the starting quarterback week one? Are you, are you at like 95% or do you think there's a push from JJ McCarthy or a push from Alan Bowman? Let's say 85. Okay. Right. I'm kind of around there too. Safely, you know, not, not a storyline. I really think we're that I'm feel like is going to become a thing, but mostly due to just McCarthy's talent and his makeup also, I'm, it will be interesting to know how hard he's pushing, you know, right away with, with a full spring camp under his belt, a summer to, to work, which we know if we know anything about McCarthy, he's put in uh, all the work, right? Not saying the others haven't just JJ's kind of already established himself as like a, you know, I, I remember talking to him for the army, his army game commitment. Uh, like at IMG, they have like a, it's like a mental coach, like a, like a literal, like that's their only role, uh, just working on the intangibles, you know? And then, so, you know, he took that side as seriously as the physical side of things. So, you know, he has a lot of those other things kind of going in his favor as well, or, or things that'll push him in a positive direction, but yeah, I'm safely still leaning with McNamara, uh, as of right now with that 15% definitely been at least for me as being more towards McCarthy than it is for Bowman. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that's fair. Uh, Bowman I'm intrigued by just because I think he's, he's got a, he's got, I just can't help but feel like he's got a little bit of Jake Rudock in him, you know, older, mature, really didn't get a fair shake toward the end of Texas tech um, plays through injuries, succeed successfully plays through injuries. I mean, he scored a, uh, you know, touchdown late in the first half against Oklahoma with a collapsed lung. I think he was at Oklahoma, give him a halftime lead. Um, you know, so he's, he's got a little bit of that, that intangible it factor as well. But, but I, I, I can't help but wonder if, well, one, I, I think, you know, I think he came to Michigan partly for the degree. I think he's here for potentially two years. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I don't know. We'll see. But I think I almost wonder if he came a little too late to be a factor this season. Still could be a very, I mean, Michigan, Michigan knows the value and the importance of having a good backup quarterback ready to go. So um, yeah, I'm with you. I think I'm at 80%. Things always can change. Things can always surprises can happen, but, but I just don't feel like it's going to happen at quarterback this season. We are going to hit a quick break on the other side. We are going to predict our surprise players in fall camp. We are going to predict or assess the most important or interesting position battles to us. And we're also going to talk about freshmen to watch in fall camp. You're listening to the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. 
and we're back. Thanks for waiting. So, Steve, I, I, let's start with the surprise players. This obviously, by nature, <laughs> we could be totally wrong here. Surprise players by are, are supposed to be surprises. If we were predicting them, uh, how surprising would they be? But but every year around fall camp, there's a few players that that start to get what I would call like sincere buzz, not the, not just the like, Oh, they really stand out. The light turned on. It's kind of like a motivational tactic coaches use. No, like, like there's actual real, like, Oh, this guy, whatever he did in the summer, it worked or, or he's really, really turned the corner, really figured things out. Um, let's start with someone. Let's start first category, someone who has played a good amount who you think could really, I mean, by, by this time, two weeks from now, it's starting to look like maybe one of the stars of the team. Any, anyone jump out to you there? I mean, for me, I think it's, I, I'll probably talk about uh, my breakout pick of the year, Cornelius Johnson, but but anyone stand out to you as someone who is maybe going a little under the radar right now. And in two weeks, they will not be under the radar. That's a tough one. So if there's a guy that could be a star, um, I wanted to say Roman Wilson, but I don't necessarily know if Wilson's a guy that's going to be a star for them. But I, but I do think there's a guy that started his first started. Yeah, I was going to say he he's played game. enough, yeah. right? Uh, was a little banged up in the spring. I think that's why we didn't really hear anything about him. But you know, is absolutely still a guy that can take the top off of a defense. I shouldn't say still as if he's been around forever and like has to get <laughs> like he's a guy that can take the top off of a defense. They have a few of those guys, but he's also 6-1. And uh a quiet 6-1, right? Because of the 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 feel or I think the perception is that Michigan is Cornelius Johnson and then Baldwin and then a lot of like shorter slot type receivers, but Wilson's like right. that kind of guy in the middle who's got the speed of the slot guys, but also has enough size to, you know, line up on the outside and do some damage. So I, I think with with now being a fully healthy and, and ready to go for, I think Wilson's a guy I anticipate uh, that we're going to hear some stuff about as far as uh, having a good fall camp. Yeah. I, I'm tempted to take the bait on Mozzie Smith for this category. I, I guess star probably isn't my expectation for him. Um, but he's added weight. They're letting him kind of lean into that nose position. And, you know, I mentioned the year three stuff, a guy who I think goes from starter to let's say first or second team, all big 10. If I'm, if I'm calling my shot, so I'm, I'm not talking about Aiden Hutchinson, not going to talk about, uh, Dax Hill. I'm, I'm really intrigued by Jamon green. I actually really think his, his coverage numbers and, 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 you know, kind of how he was in coverage toward in the second half of last season were really, really good. I think he's someone maybe more than anyone else on the team that really could have benefited from just a couple tune-up games against Mac teams or a couple tune-up non-conference games where, where maybe the pressure's off a little bit. I mean, against, against Penn state, he was excellent. Um, I believe in coverage, I mean, the, throughout the whole season, he only allowed 19 completions on 49 targets and he averaged around six yards per pass attempt. And, and he got his hands on a lot of stuff too. eight pass breakups, um, gave up a couple big plays for sure. Uh, that, that goes without saying Rutgers. I think he had a, he had a pretty bad one. Minnesota actually 
and then and then Michigan State uh, had one too, and and still has to work on some stuff. But it felt like toward the end of the season, really started to clean things up, and and even when teams were throwing at him a ton, you know, he stepped up. And I I, I just I I can't help but think he's that the way that coaches talk about how he's they really feel confident in him as one starting cornerback. It's just the rest of it that they're trying to figure out. I think he could make quote unquote the leap. Not saying he's going to be an NFL player, not saying he's going to be first team all Big Ten, but I think he could be um, in that conversation among the top eight or so cornerbacks in the league by the end of the year, which is which is saying something because he was not there last fall. Would you say he's one of like probably three or four guys that if that does happen can really maybe raise the floor? Yeah. Of how good the defense can be. Right. I know Mozzie's going to be the one that everyone talks about is like, if he, right. if the, the quote, which has been, I've seen that phrase like 20 times today, the light goes on. Do you see, um, I, I made fun of it. I, on, I, on- I did. I did. <laughs> but I had seen it before you even said that. I feel like I'd seen it like five or six times. Oh yeah. Uh, but you know, I, yeah, I think green is one of those that can, it could really raise the profile of this defense if if that does happen you know yeah. I mean, and again there are a lot of guys that technically like if they if they did take the leap or whatever yeah it's obviously going to help but to have a top flight corner you know we know what michigan can do defensively when they've had that in the past uh it's yeah. it's, it's really hidden uh, some deficiencies maybe at other spots throughout the years uh, right and, and and you know so that's yeah i think he's one of the two or three guys that if he really clicks then you know, I think that's about his best case scenario that Michigan can ask for. Right, right. I mean, teams are a lot better at picking on weak points in defense. You know, so one lockdown corner or one good corner, I should say. I don't even know if he would get to the lockdown level. But one good cornerback probably isn't going to, um, you know, save Michigan's defense. But it sure does help. And I think the big thing is it raises the standard in practice. You know, if a player is mad, they don't feel like they're getting enough playing time and Jamon Green just straight up looks better than them. Well, that player is going to step up. You know, the worst, the, the, I think the most frustrating thing for, for young players is when they're, they feel like they're stuck behind a guy and they don't feel like that guy's all that good. You know, I think it can make a big difference in the culture of that cornerback's room if, if you know, Jamon Green is um, capital G good. Not not quite ready to throw the great word around yet, or or a lead or anything like that. But but if he's if he's good and consistent, yeah, Michigan Michigan's defensive prospects look a lot better. Although honestly, yeah, I feel like you could say that about linebacker, defensive tackle. But I think he's one player that actually I I feel like has the the tools and the capability and now the experience to do it. Next category of surprises. This is maybe a longer list to choose from. A guy who is not currently projected to start, and I'm not going to let you take running back just because I feel like running back is such a rotation, but someone at a different position group that isn't expected to start right now that you think could really surprise in fall camp and end up running away with the job. Oh, until you said running away with the job. um, I want to see what Junior Colson does in fall camp I think I think he has walked in and has immediately become a potential factor mm-hmm. maybe not let's say against western Michigan you know but maybe we get into conference season I think you might be seeing quite a bit of him on the field honestly um, 
meaning he'll be making big strides in fall camp, right? I mean, fall camp does not mean he's going to, a good fall camp does not put him in the, you know, the starting position necessarily, but it could, it'll set the foundation for him to still make an impact at some point. Uh, that's yeah. one guy in that class that I think the, the new staff is like over the moon. I, whatever phrase you want to use uh, excited, they're excited about him. So he's my pick again. I don't, not, not a guy run away with the job, but you know, yeah, I, I just think he's he's one I'm really excited to hear about how his fall camp is going to is going to go. Yeah, no, I, it's uh, that's another wow. Michigan could really use a breakout year from him. I mean, he's a true freshman, so there's you know, I don't think anyone's putting that kind of pressure on him. But but yeah, the size, the speed, um, you know, just kind of the way the way he can move around the field, the way he can hit. Um, I think, I think he had, he does things at the linebacker position that Michigan doesn't really have anywhere else on its roster right now. I mean, I think they have a lot of, you know, hard hitting running backs. They've got a few guys who are speedy. I, I don't know if there's anyone that has both in the, in the same way that, that Colson does. So it's just a matter of getting him prepared, getting him uh, acclimated to the college game, I suppose, uh, teaching him the playbook. You know, I guess one thing helping him is that, the whole team is kind of has to learn the new playbook and everything, but, but yeah, I agree with you there. I'm going to stick on the defensive side of the ball. I've probably talked about him enough that he's almost not underrated anymore, but I, I just, I really think there is something with Julius Welshoff that's going to, that's going to allow him to play a lot. Now it's tricky because when I saw the new updated roster weights, you know, and, and all these Michigan defensive linemen are, up over 310 pounds now. I'm kind of like, ah, does Welshoff fit in there? Do, you know, is there is there a role for him on that defensive line? Because clearly they have a type. They want guys who are over 310 pounds, but and he's only 290. But man, he he can move. He can move. He's quick. Um, last season, statistically speaking, he was Michigan's best pass rusher from on the defensive interior. I think he was okay against the run. That's probably where he would, where Michigan would want him to improve. But, but yeah, I think he's, he can be efficient. Uh, and, and he is like six six two ninety. It's not like he's, he would be a fish out of water on a defensive line. Uh, probably got to put him at that, that I guess what would be called the SDE role, you know, the, the defensive end that's kind of anchor big guy, um, but still doing some end properties. So we'll see how they use him. It might not even be in a starting role, but I think he maybe like the Chase Winovich 2016 type of role, granted on a on a worse defense. And I'm not saying he'll be that, but I, you know, when I see him, I just I could see him having a couple games where everyone's like, whoa, whoa, he's making some plays or oh, where he where's he been? And, and just a little feather in the cap for Michigan to have. And I, I think there's a small chance he wins a starting job. I mean. It's, it's no secret. Mozzie Smith, Donovan Jeter, Michigan has been frustrated with their consistency before, you know, Jeff, Jeff Spade is another guy. He, um, he former walk on. I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a path for Welshoff to, to start, you know, Jordan Whitley's a little bit of a wild card and he, he wouldn't even be playing in the same position as, as Welshoff anyways. I, I, I kind of, kind of think there's a, there's some, some surprise breakout potential there 
anyone else quickly, Steve, in that, in that category of, of non-starters who you think could really, um, and guys who maybe aren't expected to contend for a starting job necessarily either, who you think could really ascend this fall? I'm going to pick somebody I know you really are high on. RJ Moten at safety is another one. Sure. Very interested to see, to hear how his fall camp goes. Really a, another super high ceiling guy, uber athlete, could have played baseball. You know, I know Bellamy recently had a lot of good things to say about what they've seen with Moten. So he's another one. And at that same spot, you know, I know he struggled at times last year, but I think that's more of a – you look at that as more of a learning experience than anything else is Makari Page is somebody that Michigan has always really kind of liked, you know, so that safety's a spot. Yeah, you got your top two. Uh, be very surprised if either of those guys beat – nobody's – you know, Hill's going to be a starter for sure. Be shocked if Hawkins wasn't, obviously, right? So uh, – but those are two guys I feel like are at least going to be – you know, maybe keeping the seat warm. I don't know the best, you know, phrase again to use that uh, to describe it, but I think those are guys that will at least keep them on their, keep the starters on their toes mm-hmm. and uh, can, can provide some good depth. If, you know, if Michigan does want to move Dax Hill around a little bit, which we anticipate they will, you know, I think all of a sudden a guy like Moten and, or Page become pretty important for Michigan. So. Uh, the only other one I, I immediately think of, and we talked about him so much, I don't, I'm not even going to elaborate, but David Ajabo, is another guy he's getting getting a little bit more I think McDonald mentioned him yesterday and I, I know Jim Harbaugh mentioned him and uh Aiden Hutchinson mentioned him just uh, uh at Big Ten media days but yeah he's another guy he's a ceiling raiser you know with his speed and and his size 6'5 um 250 pounds kind of at that that defensive edge position very raw we've talked about that before um I I, I just I don't I think this year with a little bit more practices under his belt, a little bit less hectic of a year. I mean, for a while there it was uncertain if he'd even be able to play for Michigan last fall as a, as a, as a foreigner. Um, so yeah, he's another guy switching to position battles. We've kind of tiptoed around a couple of them. I will go first in terms of the most intriguing position battle. We're only going to name a couple. There really aren't actually that many for starting jobs. I'll, I'll, dig into the second string jobs in a, in a written story. But um, yeah, I think along the offensive line, it's there's really two that are fascinating. I, I, I still think it's going to end up being Zinter at center. I still think it's going to be, um, uh, well, Ryan Hayes at, at left tackle. And I actually think Andrew Stuber is going to end up at right guard. I, I guess there's a chance it changes, but it's really the left guard position and the right tackle position, left guard. Chuck Filiaga apparently giving it one last push, even though Keegan seemed to finish last season ahead of him and, and was ahead of him last, um, or I guess in spring ball. And then at right tackle, I actually, I just, between like going and rereading the notes on, on spring practices, what players and coaches had to say, uh, listening to Jim Harbaugh describe the offensive linemen, at big 10 media days. I kind of feel like Trent Jones is going to end up giving Carson Barnhart a run for his money. And I I would say entering fall camp, Barnhart's probably the leader, but, but projecting, I think there's a chance that it's closer to 50, 50 than people realize. Um, You know, I know we, I've been on the Barnhart train for a while 
but this this was always kind of the year penciled for for Jones to to make his mark. So those are those are uh, technically it's two position battles, but they're both at the offensive line uh, that stand out to me. Steve, your thoughts on on those, and then also a position battle that's really catching your eye or really fascinating to you to you entering fall camp. Yeah, the two offensive line ones are I think are the most intriguing. I think him mentioning Filiaga up front is a. I thought that was very notable. Uh, honestly, no reason to mention that he had the best off season of. Uh, yeah, of he didn't have to say it. No one right. was asking him how does Chuck Filiaga look. He was right. That, was asked exa- about the offensive line. And yes, so when he outwardly comes out with that, meaning he is pushing Trevor Keegan, or that the two are pushing each other, uh, that's again you talk about best case scenario type stuff. That's what you want. I mean, Filiaga was a top one hundred guy. I know he struggled and that Keegan looked a lot better when he came in last year. I mean, he was a guy we were openly talking about needed to play and then he came in and was really good, you know? So you think, okay, he's going to take it. That's, that's his job now uh, for Filiaga to come this far and to, and to push for that job, I think says a lot about him given the state of the portal, he could have left easily and found somewhere where he probably would have started and, and played. Right. Uh, I think to fight through that and, and to, to kind of keep that battle going with Keegan is good for, for both players and it'll eventually be good for the team. Really, the only other one is that second corner spot. Uh, does Vince Gray really rebound or does DJ Turner kind of take it? I mean, all three guys are going to play. Right. But when there's only when there's two out there, who are going to be the two? You know, and so I think that that's the other one to really kind of keep an eye on. And, and like I said, it really comes down to that. Gray's got a ton more playing experience. Uh, he's played at a high level at points, you know, but can't ignore, let's say, a very up and down year last year that was probably mostly a down. Yeah. So Turner, sort of a rising guy that we know Mike Zordich loved DJ Turner. Yeah, he was trending to start. I don't know if it was – there were a couple cornerbacks who had COVID protocols. A couple of them got injured. I don't know if he was in that category, but he. it seemed like in August he was trending to start. And then come November, he wasn't really being mentioned in the starting conversation. So depending on what happened, I mean, he. I don't know if he's back on track or if he found another push, found another gear. Um, yeah, he seems to be right back in the mix. Right. So that's, yeah, I mean, that those are really the three major position battles unless, yeah, unless somebody, you know, kind of explodes in fall camp and, and pushes an incumbent for a job that we kind of have in the bank. Maybe offensive line is one of those spots, you know, because they are deep. There's a lot of talent there. Receiver, you know, you talk about Dalen Baldwin, Cornelius Johnson, Andrell Anthony. It feels like all right, like there's six or seven of like the main. I mean, I think Christian Dixon probably isn't in the running for a starting. Sure, job, but it feels yeah, like everyone else could push for a starting role. Right. So, yeah, but the the, the biggest ones are those those two up front for sure. Uh, fascinating to see who comes out on top uh, in both of those. With obviously whoever wins that right tackle job, it's going to be a little more green. And I know Barnhart's played a little bit, though. I mean, he's gotten a healthy amount of snaps, but, uh, you know, Jones has slowly been ascending throughout. And like you said, I, yeah, you can, it almost, you can almost just kind of imagine his trajectory based on just what we've heard, what the staff has said, 
you know, it's like you can you can just kind of see his gradual rise, you know. And uh, I always go back when he was being recruited because I think it's a uh, Wanya Morris when Wanya Morris, his teammate at Grayson. It's like there were a few people around the program that said Jones is, is was a better player, a better prospect. And uh, Morris has been really good so far in his college career, you know. So that'd be interesting to see. Morris was a five star. I think he committed and signed with Tennessee. He was one of the 30 guys that transferred out last year. I think he's playing for Oklahoma now, but uh, you know, always remember that when I think about Jones and then, you know, like I said, you continue to hear more and more good things about him. I feel like he's got a, he's a, I think he's a very high ceiling guy. So, and Barnhart's Barnhart is more flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, play inside. right. Could be a situation where maybe the staff is maybe almost hoping that Jones takes that job so that they can kind of use Barnhart as a, as a utility, I mean, either, I mean, he could, he could start at right tackle and you could shift him. I mean, it, you're going to take the right. best guy, but you also maybe want, you know, you want a guy to kind of take the job and seize it. And, uh, you know, yeah, I don't think Michigan would be mad if Jones won and, and Barnhart could just be the first guy off the bench, no matter what. Right. And he, and he sides, really, he really could. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's value in that. And uh, so, yeah, no, I think it's good. It, it you know, some good, some, these are what I would like, maybe the corner one, not so much, but at least with the offensive line ones, they, these are what I would call good position battles. Uh, these are whoever wins those jobs should be productive player. This isn't a crap. They don't have anybody there. And then it's <laughs> going to be one of these two guys. Like these are, these are highly recruited, highly rated, talented, pretty experienced guys in both spots. Um, you know, that, that, are kind of duking it out for, you know, what should be a good unit. So, you know, not the worst type of position battle you want to be covering or talking about as far as it pertains to Michigan's yeah. potential yeah, success. They're not backing into it. Right. You could argue they kind of are at, at cornerback. And then if there is a position battle defensive line, I don't know if, I don't know if anyone has proven, I think that's, that's definitely backing. in. I mean, I think they'll have three that are fine, but, but, I don't think anyone they're like, yes, he is definitely going to start. and He's going to be a second team, all big 10 player. I mean, they don't have anyone at, at the defensive line or, or frankly linebacker even um, that they feel that confident in last little bit here. We'll talk about freshmen. We've done the conversation before, which freshmen will make the biggest impact. Obviously Donovan Edwards is a big one. Junior Colson, JJ McCarthy, Andrew Anthony, uh, Christian Dixon, you know, those are kind of, they were all early enrollees. They were all, I mean, it's already been discussed. So I want to try to make it interesting and go with the late enrollees and I'll read them off for the listeners and, and for you, Steve, but um, which of these freshmen who arrived only in June, but could find their way into either the two deep or a significant snap playing role, um, with a with a strong fall camp so they are Rayshon Benny Jaden Hood I'll, I'll do positions Rayshon Benny defensive line Jaden Hood linebacker George Rooks defensive line uh Louis Hansen tight end Kashawn Bennett defensive line Tyler McLaurin linebacker Rod Moore safety Jaden McBurrows cornerback TJ Guy edge defender um Ike Iwana I think uh, defensive line Tommy well Tommy Doman's probably going to play uh, you know, punter, kicker. He'd be the, he'd have been, uh, that yeah, that's, be that's my, the, that's yeah. the loophole. Um, 
and Dominic Giedice, edge defender. So, so of that list, not counting Doman, who's, who's really standing out to you as like, you know, I bet he could have a, a pretty good fall camp and find himself in a, in a key role later on this season. Uh, because of need and just also just how excited we knew, like I'm going to go with Mick Burrows at corner, uh, which again, of the guys on that list, he'd probably be the one you want to be the guy that I'm talking about, I guess. Um, just because, like I said, there's just, there are some real question marks at corner uh, when you get past Jamon Green. So I'm going to go with McBurrows, uh, played at a powerhouse program, matched, matched up with a lot of really big-time receivers at the high school level last year, more than held his own. You know, I know we've talked about him in the recruiting pod quite a bit. I think Sam had him as his sleeper of the class. Uh, to me, a classic guy that was not ranked properly. Uh, can't I won't say that about every guy that was a three-star or anything like that. Uh, I think if, if there were like, if I could pick three or four guys maybe in the class that I thought were definitely underrated, uh, McBurrows would definitely, he would have been top of the list, not just on the list. Like he'd have been the number one guy in my opinion. So I know you said you even watched his film. He pops. I mean, it's 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 evident that this guy can play. So he would be uh, he would be my pick for sure. Well, real quick, some people might be asking why. I think one small part of why is I think there were a lot of questions about his size because on our site he was listed as 5'10", 165 pounds. But then today in the roster release he was listed as um 5197 which is i would say is a very college ready cornerback frame massive difference yes <laughs> who measured that guy um there's no <laughs> way he gained 37 pounds since no. the <laughs> last time we had someone up there or whatever uh yeah no wait yeah 511 200 i mean that's yeah so even adds more to the to the idea you know that i think he's a guy that with a good fall camp is, is could possibly see the field. Uh, you know, he's definitely got the talent. I just like uh, another thing that I've said before, but like sometimes you just watch a guy and you just, the guy, you can just tell he knows how to play football. And that he was one of those guys I got that vibe from when I'd watch him uh, just the awareness, just like there's guys that just look comfortable uh, on the field. You know, I said that about worthy, sorry. Uh, you know, the same thing with Xavier Worthy, who obviously didn't end up in Michigan. It was the same idea, right. though. Uh, I felt the same way about McBurrows when I watched his film. So, you know, he would – to me, he'd be my – what I would call a safe pick, honestly, out of that group, just because there's a need, and I just think he's that good. Yeah, I think um, – I think that's a good that, – that probably would have been my choice if I had gone first. So I know I mentioned earlier in the podcast, defensive line is usually a position that it takes guys a couple years. Really fascinated by Ike Awana showing up at 307 pounds and six foot four. Um, you know, there's a big, I've, I've, you know, I'm regarding defensive linemen, a big reason why it does take a couple years. Is sometimes it just takes guys a while to like be physically ready. I don't know. 307, that can be weight he needs to shed. Or that can be playable weight, but I, I'm I'm fascinated by these defensive linemen. Um, you know, with with strong fall camps, they can really help Michigan's defensive line depth. So I think he's someone. And then 
Michigan really hasn't played freshman tight ends as much as people think, but but I didn't I didn't know Hanson was six six two fifty. Yeah, Hanson's enough. Hanson would be another <laughs> one to maybe look out for, just because I think they're looking for a second guy behind yeah. Eric All. Right? I mean, I think Matthew Hibner's got a real shot there. Mm-hmm. Um, Schoonmaker's played well. I would probably peg him as the favorite just due to the experience yeah. factor. But you know, between Hibner and and Hanson, you know, so yeah, Hanson's num- uh, measurables were like very impressive as well. Uh, guys that they're coming there. Yeah. That came in, like they must've listened to the, to the weight staff. They're here. eating their they're protein. Like, yeah. yeah. They must've used the, they must've uh, definitely followed the program. So uh, yeah, I think Hanson's another, actually a decent uh, kind of under the radar dark horse pick. Yeah. Yeah. So defensive line is just such a wild card. So if I were actually picking, I, I, and also skill position players just tend to play a little bit more as freshmen anyways. Um, Probably would ultimately go Hanson. Hard to hard to look past, you know, former blue chip recruits, Jaden Hood and Rayshon Benny. They certainly have the the potential to and they're also at positions of need, but but those would be probably my choices. All right, final thing. We skipped over the new coaches, or is this a new Jim Harbaugh? I don't really care about those storylines in fall camp. I'm sorry. They're they're I feel like they're filler narratives. Um to wait until the season starts, but any, anything else, you know, you, you, you heard Josh Gaddis and, and Mike McDonald speak with, with reporters yesterday. You, you heard everything coming out of big 10 media day. Any other storylines sticking out to you uh, heading into this fall camp? Uh, nothing like in particular, I think one thing I just, I always kind of just like Michigan schedule just always seems like brutal. Uh, you know, how do they, can they kind of uh, get that road monkey off of their back? Yeah. Right? Uh, that's, that's still a big one. It's like they got their away games this year are they're I feel more winnable than maybe they normally, like, I, I think, you know, they haven't won in Madison in forever. Right. But I think Wisconsin will be good, but I'm not sure if Wisconsin's as good as what, aren't they like a preseason top 10 uh, you know, it kind of depends on who you ask. Right. I, I mean, I, I, they did, they, they sputtered to they the did. finish line last year. And I, so they're, they're a team. I'm very, they confused. were in the Duke's Mayo bowl. They weren't right, a New right. York six team. Very. I understand though, another experience, a year, another year for Mertz. They're always really good up front. Obviously uh, they Berger can always, has you know, another year. Right. I mean, so there are things, but I don't feel the same way about that game this year as I did with Wisconsin coming into Ann Arbor last year, like I, it feels like even though it's on the road, it just feels more winnable, I guess, in a way, uh, you know, it was early in the year. So I think maybe at the time, maybe we looked at that as a, as a game Michigan could win, but looking back, it was clear there that that's not a team they were going to beat even as badly as Wisconsin looked to finish the year. Uh, but between them and Penn state feels like, semi-winnable, like, notable road games for them, you know? And so Does the 2018 team or 2019 team, do you think they go into both of these against the current Wisconsin and Penn State game teams and wins on the road? I feel I like both they, programs they are at least, a step below what they were those two years. That they at least split, right? Yeah. I think they could split those two games for sure. Um, it's just they don't have to go to Columbus. 
I guess that's really the only, <laughs> they don't go to Columbus, but um, they don't have a, their big non-conference game is at home this year. You know, so there's, there's, I feel like, and they're, these are far enough into the season where they can maybe get some momentum going too, right. Before they kind of get to yeah. that test. So, you know, that's one thing I'm, I'm really, you know, and again, a lot of the stuff we'll never be privy to, but are they going to be, do they do anything different? Is there anything, or is they just take it a game at a time like they have been and just, you know, let, let the players, you know, does McNamara Hutchinson, um, like a Haskins, like Bell, these other guys that should lead, you know, what are these, you know, how do they kind of approach these games? Cause it's, it gets to a point where you're going to know going in that, you know, as Michigan, as the players, as the program is like, we haven't won a big game on the road in forever. And it gets it, it can get in your head, I assume. And it, you know, could affect the psyche or, you know, a good microcosm or a good litmus test for how real they feel like this redemption idea is. And, uh, you know, because that's been kind of one of the Achilles heels under Harbaugh is just an inability to beat a really good team or a, or a upper echelon big 10 team on the road. So again, not really a storyline we're going to learn anything about in fall camp, but as far as the season goes, it's something I'm interested to see how it develops and, and where that kind of goes. Yeah. I think the one thing I'm fascinated by um, and, and it's, it's, similar to like every fall camp narrative it could end up being all talk but Jim Harbaugh talked about this thing at at Big Ten Media Days and it was like he's looking for players with the right genes and and what he means by that is is guys who 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 actually embrace how hard fall camp in this season and trying to like reverse fortunes is supposed to be like he, he wants guys who will embrace it and he wants guys that were to take it really personally, not like I got to be good so I can go pro. Like I got to, I got to help this team because it's really important to me. And I, I I'm sensing, I'm starting to gather sense a little bit of a theme of, of guys, you know, the leadership of, of Michigan's team. A couple of them are really well-known names in, in Michigan football, fan, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Ross. I think it's going to be really personally important to them. But then you look at the rest of the leaders. It's a, it's a group that is, that has always been overlooked. Ronnie Bell is, is kind of the leading receiver. Hassan Haskins, the leading running back. Cade McNamara, the leading quarterback. You know, it's uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball. You know, Mike Barrett, overlooked. Jamon Green, largely overlooked. A lot of a lot of defensive linemen who've been counted out. I'm I'm just really curious. I especially I think on the offensive side of the ball, because that's probably where Michigan's going to win its games this year, if we're if we're being honest. But it does seem like there are a lot of top leaders of this team who who have everyone's going to have a chip on their shoulder going two and four. But I feel like they they're they're embracing they're adding the chip they're doing the Bakari Alexander <laughs> they're they're adding a couple extra chips and and and, uh, and understanding that you don't just get to be mad and then you're a better football team no you actually have to do the work um, it just it I'm I'm a little fascinated by it I didn't think I was going to buy into any of the fall camp storylines but I'm a little fascinated by Jim Harbaugh's looking for players with the right gene comment because I I think if I'm being blunt, and I guess I will here, when he says that, I hear that as the last couple teams' leadership didn't have that gene. 
last last few years, I don't. He doesn't think that the team, whether he'll say it publicly or not, I don't think he felt like the team had people that took it personally. I think he felt like he had a team that took it personally in 2015 and 2016, uh, but then it became a little bit more of, you know, do your work, do your job, work hard. I mean, it's it's ridiculous to act like college football players don't always work hard, but get to the pros, be healthy, skip bowl games, things like that. I, I think he thinks he has a little bit more of a team, maybe reminiscent of 2015 on his hands. And, and you could also say that that was also just the other team that was coming off a losing record. But I think, I think there are a lot of players who, where it just means a little bit more to, to make Michigan good this season. It's, it's a little bit more personal to them. They're not worried about their draft stock. They're not checking their uh, name, image, likeness value. You know, they're spending the summer just trying to be really good at football and, and working harder than they used to work. So fascinated by it. Not a guarantee, not promising a thing to Michigan fans. Could be all talk. They could still stink. But that is, I thought that was interesting because I think that's, if there's one thing that, that Jim Harbaugh has been frustrated by at Michigan, I, I, I can't help but wonder if he, you know, as a former Michigan player and, and as someone who it does mean a lot to him, I can't help but wonder if he's had a couple teams where he didn't feel like it meant enough to them. And I think he might have it this year. So anyway, that's, that's one, one of the talk is cheap storylines. I'm, I'm at least paying attention to this fall. We'll have tons of coverage over at the Michigan insider.com Michigan 24 seven sports.com about this fall camp. I'll, I'll have some big picture stuff. I think a depth chart will probably be out before this episode is out. Um, you know, kind of looking, we'll, I'll look at the position battles, the freshmen, we're going to get players twice a week and uh, assistant coaches once a week. So there should be lots of coverage for you guys to get your football fix. Uh, if you don't want your football fix, enjoy the pool, enjoy the sunshine. We'll come talk to you in September. Anyway, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.